if I could, could pull out a Ouija board and interview any scientist from history, I think one of my top five would be to sit down with Edward Jenner and go, okay, dude, seriously, how did you decide this was the thing to do? What was going on in your head to make you go, I'm just going to experiment on this eight-year-old. A village physician, a milkmaid, and an eight-year-old boy. Not the most impressive collection of individuals behind the development of the world's first vaccine, but that's what we got. And for the first time on this podcast, we're going outside of the U.S. and into the English town of Berkeley. That's where our dynamic trio played critical roles in wiping out one of the worst diseases this world has ever witnessed with a human experiment based on folklore. This is History's Forgotten Headlines, Milkmaids and a Vaccine. At the time of this recording, we're in the middle of a global pandemic and still without a vaccine for COVID-19. The number of cases and the death toll continue to climb. The entire country is currently at a standstill with just about everything shut down. An unprecedented 30 million Americans have filed for unemployment benefits. Restaurants and stores are empty, and there hasn't been a concert or any gathering of any kind for more than a month. And right now, it feels like the only real solution to returning back to any kind of normal is a vaccine, which could be at least a year away. But it did get us thinking, what is the history of vaccines? Where did they start? What was the first one? And how did it come about? Little did we know, one of the greatest scientific achievements of mankind all started with milkmaids. Infectious diseases and skeletons are kind of two of my favorite things. That's science journalist Kiona Smith. I'm a freelance science journalist. I write as a contributor for Forbes about the history of science and technology and a contributor for Ars Technica about archaeology. She's done extensive research and writing on the history of vaccines. And there wouldn't be a history of vaccines without the terrible disease smallpox. You know, today with COVID, this, this is a devastating disease, but we're looking at you know, somewhere on the order of a 1% to 3% death rate. So picture, you know, an order of magnitude greater than that at 3 out of 10, and it's, it's almost hard to grasp today how devastating this was. Smallpox was officially declared eradicated on May 8th, 1980, which was and still is a huge deal. The CDC says the eradication of smallpox is considered the biggest achievement in international public health. But for centuries, smallpox terrorized the world. As you heard Kiona mention, on average, three out of every 10 people who got infected died. That's a 30% death rate. And if you survived, you were very likely to be scarred for life. You were dealing with days or weeks of high fever, a rash, and these pus-filled blisters that were really, really painful. And then once they dried up and scabbed over, they left you with with scars for life. Uh, Indigenous American tribes, actually, a couple of them called it uh, rotting face. 
The origin of the disease is unknown, but it's thought to date back to the Egyptian Empire around the 3rd century. And that's based on a smallpox-like rash found on three mummies. So from ancient Egypt to the Revolutionary War, the world had very little hope in defeating the disease. And honestly, they didn't even really think defeating it was an option. They just had to make do with what they could, which wasn't great. The standard preventative was something called variolation. And what you did there is you actually took some pus from somebody who had a mild smallpox infection. You scraped the skin on your arm and you rubbed the infected pus into your arm. And the idea was you would get a mild infection, but not the full on infection. So you would be a little uncomfortable for a few days, but then you would have acquired immunity to smallpox. So the question is, how can you look for something if you don't know what you're looking for? It wasn't great, you still had about a 2% chance of dying from the process of being variolated, but it was better than 30%. And I don't get the impression that people were really actively looking for anything better because the idea of a vaccine that would be safer and more effective wasn't really even known at, the, at that point. Fast forward to 1796, in comes English doctor... Edward Jenner. He was a village physician in a rural village in southwest England. It was primarily a dairy farming community, which, of course, put him in an excellent position to later do what he did. But at the start of his career, he was essentially just a, a small town family doctor. As mentioned, the dairy farming is key to all of this. We may not even have vaccines if it wasn't for the cows. Because of the community, Jenner's patients were mainly dairy farmers and milkmaids. Those were the very people who would get infected with something called cowpox. It's been written the milkmaids would even brag that they're immune to smallpox because they had already gotten cowpox. Maybe some would ignore the chatter and just consider it an old wives' tale, but not Jenner. And as he started watching people in his community, he realized it was true. Um, milkmaids would get a mild fever, a mild rash, you know, some of those little pustules on their hands, but nothing nearly even as bad as what you would get from variolation with smallpox. But then he noticed the milkmaids really didn't get smallpox. And that sort of started the wheels in his head turning. So Jenner decided to take action. And remember, this was in rural England in the late 1700s. Yeah, really where he went from that was straight off the deep end into the realm of wildly unethical human testing. And we hold Edward Jenner up as one of the heroes of scientific progress. And really, in a way, he was, but we also need to be very clear-headed about yeah, his, his sense of research ethics was really pretty sketchy. She's absolutely right. Jenner was done listening, done observing, and decided to start his own experiment. He did go to a local milkmaid and got a sample of cowpox pus from a, a pustule on her hand, which you must have been an interesting conversation. Hey, pardon me, can I just get a sample of this? And then he went to his gardener's son, James Fitz, who was then about eight or nine years old, 
and went through basically the process of, of variolation. He you know, made a small cut on Phipps' arm and rubbed his cowpox pus into it and infected the kid with cowpox. James did apparently get fairly sick. He had about nine days of, think your standard kind of flu-like aches and fever, and it was nowhere near a smallpox infection, but the kid was not having a good time. But then he pulled through, and the bad medical ethics just keep on coming. Once he had recovered, Jenner waited a little while, and then he exposed the child to actual smallpox. That's right. Without having any idea what would happen, he gave an eight-year-old boy cowpox, making him sick for more than a week, and then decided to expose the child to smallpox, just to see what happened. Again, a human experiment. Thankfully, to everyone's relief, it worked. James didn't get sick. Jenner waited a while, repeated the test, more smallpox. James didn't get sick. And he discovered he really had, to to put it in modern terms, induced acquired immunity in this kid. And, you know, once he had exposed this child to smallpox enough to be sure of his results, he published the paper and... The rest is pretty much history. My understanding is that basically what he laid out is inoculation with cowpox will make you immune to smallpox. Today we understand, of course, the what's going on at a molecular level to make that happen. At the time, it was, it was kind of just enough to, to understand that it worked. And that's really what he laid out. And what that meant was that you had a much, much less risky way to protect people against against smallpox. So he had found this thing suddenly that we didn't realize we were looking for, but could definitely recognize as an advantage once it was available. And there you have it. The world's first ever vaccine developed in a dairy farming community in England in 1796. Less than 200 years later, smallpox was wiped out. This horrifying disease that killed three out of ten people and left the survivors horribly scarred that had been with us for thousands of years, thanks to vaccination, has been off the map and out of our lives for decades now. And if you thought it was awkward between Jenner and young James, surprisingly, that doesn't seem like that was the case. The bare bones of what we do know is Edward Jenner, once James Phipps had grown up and was a healthy smallpox-free adult, at some point, Edward Jenner actually gave Phipps and his family a cottage to live in, in the town. We know that James Phipps attended Edward Jenner's funeral when he died. And because this is small town England, they are now actually buried in the same churchyard, So it looks from kind of those bare-bones sketches like there was a friendship between the two. Certainly no, you know, resentment of, oh, my God, I can't believe you used me as a guinea pig when I was a kid. But I don't know if that was a, hey, I owe this person something, so I'm going to give him a cottage, or if it was sympathy or if it was just friendship or, you know, I I, I don't know, and I, I would love to know how Fitz saw Jenner after all of these events. One more thing. 
Ever wonder about the origin of the word vaccine? Well, as they say, it's all in the name. The word vaccine comes from the Latin word for cow. So it's actually named after cowpox, uh, probably because there's not an actual Latin word for I experimented on my gardener's son. (laughs) And we'll leave you with that. I'm Justin Doherty, and while the headlines may be forgotten, just don't forget about us. Stay safe, everyone. We'll get through this.